Hello and welcome to the Red Tunic Podcast, a podcast where I look to rediscover what makes gaming fun and enjoyable by having positive conversations with those related to the industry. Today I'm joined by Max Mraz, creator of Ocean Heart, a top-down pixel action RPG with many clear homages to The Legend of Zelda. Hi Max, how are you doing today? Hey, doing fantastic. How are you doing? Doing all right, thanks for asking. So Max, let's start with this. What can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, so I mean, well, in this context, I'm uh, an indie game developer. I've uh, Ocean's Heart is my first game um, that I and I created it solo. It was sort of a um, a fun little project. I, I got the idea to make a video game in uh, early 2017 um, with no idea how to code or uh, make games at all, and I was just sort of like, oh, this would be a fun learning experience. So uh, I started down that road, and four years later. Uh, released it on steam and uh gog and it's uh i'm pretty proud of it um during the process of uh of putting it together and all the you know working with the publisher and getting all the everything figured out i also released a couple other small side projects um one called yarn town which was a like 2d blood uh, uh, bloodborne homage in the style of zelda and a fun little halloween game called hollow's eve so uh then i also do a bunch of other things well, that's I'm also cool. a bit and of yeah, an audio like I, I did... musician. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, I didn't. I, no, no, no. I did not mean to cut you off there. You were saying you're also an audio engineer and a musician. Yep. Um. And I uh, so I used to do podcasts for a while. I uh, I really like traveling and have hitchhiked around for a bit. Um. And I'm also a professional software engineer, which is what actually makes me money. Fair enough. Um. <laughs> So, you know, I'm going to immediately jump on on this thread just because uh, you mentioned it. So I know with your your Yarntown game um, as well, it was like a, a homage to, to Legend of Zelda. And this game, clearly, when you look at it, you can tell that it draws a lot from the Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at or, you know, hear Nintendo talk about Zelda, how it came about from uh i believe miyamoto i should know this better um but thinking about you know how he was a child playing in the uh playing in the hills and everything around um his home um and it, you know it inspired him a lot i'm i'm wondering did you have any of that similar kind of inspiration from uh kind of like hitchhiking around and all the and all your traveling or is that was that kind of separate from inspiration for your games so, I mean, I, I feel like I had probably a very similar childhood to Miyamoto because like the when Yeah, he talked about um like he went exploring in the woods and he found a cave and sort of that that mood and that sense of exploration is what inspired him to make Zelda. Um, I that is I feel like it's the exact same for me, like that the sense of exploration that I get. Um, so, like, uh, for example, the uh, early last late last year and I think November well, one of my my little sister works at the Metro Parks in my city, and she took me to this place, uh, like way out in the hills, that was like way far off the trails. And she was like, "This is kind of like I have a forest secret for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're just I'm just going to take you into the forest and I'm going to show you a secret." And like we were hiking for like a couple hours and climbed up on this ridge and um, went through this like pine forest and out into another forest and down a hill, and we come out into a clearing and there's like this big old ruins where there used to be a house and it's got these like verandas and railings and like the spiral staircase that goes down to a like through a little ravine to a lake and just like that sense of um when you're out in the woods and 
you just come across something really cool was I think that that feeling is what I wanted to get across. And one of the big things that drove me to make make games just to try to, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess bottle that in a sense, you know, to recreate that feeling of just like the joy of finding something while exploring. And just even if it's just like, oh, this is a cool tree. Like, I love that. And I wanted to bring some of that into games. And yeah, like that's that's always great because, you know, um, a lot of for me, at least, um, I've always felt that a lot of the, the cool things about open world games, regardless of them being 3D, top down, what have you, is that sense of exploration, that sense of discovery that you can get to and find just by going out and about and just kind of existing in that game world, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, like uh, it's it's really fun to um, because in the real world, one of the drawbacks to that is um, like if, if if I'm out in the woods and I find a cool ravine and I follow it up and I like you know climb up a little cliff and I get to the top and there's a cool nook. There's rarely ever a dope sword in that little nook, <laughs> but in video games, like if I make the video game, I can make sure there's a cool sword there. You know, like there's a you 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 get you get the the chance to like take the the way that. Because that exploration, when you're in a park and you're going off the trail and you're finding a cool little, like a little deer path, and you're like, where does this lead? There, in real life, that you know, it rarely, rarely ever sort of has that satisfaction of like, oh, this means you know, like there's something here. A lot of times, it's just like, oh, this was a house that burned down. I mean, there's no secrets here. You know, it's it's just that it's all it. You know, what it is is what it is. But in video games, you get the chance to um sort of heighten reality. And I think the 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 way that it that video games can make that more significant is in some ways almost more true to how that experience feels to me, especially when you're a little kid. Like when I, I remember exploring, like I grew up exploring around the forest behind my parents' house all the time, you know. And there was definitely like parts of the woods where I had, you know, the first time I went there, I was like, whoa, this is, there's there's like a bunch of pines here. I didn't even know about that. And oh, there's a little grove of hemlocks here that grows in a perfect circle, like this must this must be something really cool like is this magic and um i i have you know i can go back and visit that as an adult and it's and there's a little bit of you see it for what it is it's like oh yeah someone planted these for timber 50 years ago and eventually never you know moved away and didn't harvest this crop and now they're left but in a game like that the way that it felt you can make that the reality and i think that's really cool yeah definitely and you know, as someone that also kind of explored, I don't want to call it a forest, but, you know, explored kind <laughs> of a wooded area um, as a child, you kind of, Very you kind of come across, well, it wasn't a forest, but, um, but no, like yeah, I've, come, I've come across, you know, similar buildings, but in my case, you mm -hmm. know, one or two of them were really just, as you said, they were just burnt down buildings. And like the only thing you could really do with those was wonder just how much you can walk in there before the floor gives away <laughs> rarely yep. was there anything that gave a sense of safe um enjoyment it was always like enhanced by the the sheer fear of oh this roof could collapse at any moment um hmm. and then you know you try and go back there like 10 years later and you found out the 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 city or township or what have you has came in and bulldozed that condemned house because a child almost had a collapse on them 
you know, five years after you've almost had a collapse on you kind of thing. <laughs> well, so I definitely appreciate the, the <laughs> exploration and, you know, in video games, it's safer, right? <laughs> sure. I guess I, personally, uh, the safety, you know, the fact that video games are safer is not what appeals to me. I'm, I'm that boy that did fall through the floor at one point. I've definitely fallen, th fallen through floors and abandoned buildings a couple times in my life. Okay, yeah, then yeah, definitely, definitely two different approaches for, uh, <laughs> for mindsets there. Both valid. Um, hey, here's the thing. Once you fall through the floor in an abandoned building, like, you learn from that. That is its own kind of fun experience. Yes, I won't, I will not discredit that. As someone that <laughs> used to be into urban exploring, I will mm. say 100% that you, there are experiences that you enjoy and you learn from. But, you know, without going too much into it, sometimes you have to kind of, for me at least, you had to kind of pull back and say, I definitely can't fall through any more floors, you know? Well, yeah. <laughs> Eventually your hips are old and they're like, oh, you got to stop, man. Exactly. Exactly. You kind of age out of the, um, the, the adrenaline chasing, I guess you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> now, you said you didn't start as a, as a game developer. You know, you have... Um, your foot kind of in audio engineering and software engineering and and all of that um is there any advice based on your experience that you could give to those seeking to get into the gaming industry yeah so i mean i i think the advice that people hear that i think a lot of people are very sick of hearing is to start really really small um but it is absolutely great advice so ocean's heart honestly is a pretty big game and i didn't you know, I, I got in, I got into software engineering. So my current job as a software developer, um, Ocean's Heart was like halfway done before I even applied. Um, I, I, I took the, the skills I learned from this and was able to put that into a professional job, which was great. But um, I it's it's kind of unlikely, honestly, that I finished this because I was like working four years on a project when you don't have the skills at the beginning of it, it is very intense. Um, and there's, you know, there, there are times where it's a little surprising to me that it's like, oh, you didn't drop this. You stuck with it. Like, uh, uh the, I, I think a lot of it for me is just like, oh, I happened to be in a good situation where I was able to keep doing this as a hobby. Um, and I've seen a lot of other projects that, you know, get started. Uh, I think, you know, for every game that gets completed, there's probably several that don't. Um, so Having the experience now of having finished a pretty big game, um, definitely a big game for one person to have put together. That was dumb. Should have been smaller. But um, and then I've also made a couple like uh, I took a month to make this to make uh, Yarntown, that Bloodborne uh, tribute. Um, or I took a month to make Hollow's Eve, this Halloween game. And um, those projects just like are the scope that I really wish I would have started at um, to sort of feel my way around. Like, uh, I guess in terms of like So Ocean's Heart like we've mentioned is a is very much a zelda in the in the vein of zelda <laughs> and i think the the idea of making a game that's like you've got one dungeon and a very small area around it that leads to it and you beat it and it's done just getting that done putting that out and then being done with that and able to iterate on it is so much more valuable than setting off to make the grand epic that you want to make at the beginning um you know i think the way you work up to making a big game ideally is not you know, slowly grinding at it, but 
putting together smaller projects and then after a few of those, you're going to be able to make the bigger game better because you've been able to throw away the bad ideas that you get married to when you start, you know? And yeah, like that's definitely something that has been um, said from, you know, several people that I've spoken with um, (laughs) on and off the podcast. So yeah, that's definitely like very solid advice, regardless of how, um, because I know some people, they don't like hearing that be, uh, you know, kind of said at them like all the time for every like piece of advice. But Mm -hmm. I think it's very important that when, you know, nine, if nine out of 10 dentists say, you know, don't do something and nine out of 10 video game developers are saying you really should be doing this kind of thing. I think that's, you know, that just hammers home just how important it is to um, acknowledge and pay attention to it. Um, Because like you said, um, you know, you don't, you kind of got to know how to walk before you can run and all of that fun stuff. So like, you know, if it's an iterative process, um, you, like you said, you throw out, eventually, you know, you, you get to a point where you have what you might have considered not great ideas or great mechanics or what have you, and you, you can throw them out just mm-hmm. because you've iterated on them enough to find the better version of that or, you know, what have you, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, one example in Ocean's Heart is um, the the enemy AI, by just by virtue of the way that I had it at the beginning, is pretty limited. Um so it's very much in the style of like um you know like in in uh, the Zelda games in like uh, Link's Awakening or a Link to the Past or what have you, um you hit an enemy will sort of walk towards you it'll maybe have one attack and you hit it and that kind of resets its behavior it's not really like a complex thing. Um, halfway through Ocean's Heart, my little sister convinced me to play Bloodborne and I was like, oh, I need the enemies to be like this. This is so cool. Um, but it was so hard just just to get an enemy to um be able to not get stun locked or to be able to um complete an attack once it starts it if you hit it in the middle because i had made the you know i had these decisions at the beginning that locked me in then in later games that i'm going going on to do i can from the beginning just build that to be i can build it better and not get hit by those limitations whereas i would have i had no way of knowing that those even were limitations when i started and that's just, I think, you know, something like that, it's just something you can learn from experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, I yeah, I agree completely, as you know, as a, I don't want to say software, as a software developer myself, you know, it's, hmm. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, because you, you know, you're right, you, you can learn to do something a certain way, and you can be doing it that way. And then, you know, a month or two later, you can look back at that and say to yourself, oh, wow, that was not the best way to do that. But <laughs> yeah. By then, everything surrounding that one thing, like, like that's the core functionality of what you're doing. And now you're kind of, you know, painted yourself into that corner, right? Yeah. And it is so much harder to like up, uh, you know, like pull up the floor of your old code than to just build it again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, something that I, when I looked at um, Yarn Town and, you know, obviously Ocean's Heart, they are Zelda homages, um, or at least they mm-hmm. have. Um, footings in paying tribute to it in their own ways. Oh, for sure. Would it would it be fair to say that The Legend of Zelda is maybe your favorite game, or is you know there's something <laughs> else that holds that place in your heart? So I think the you know the Legend of Zelda series is probably the series that means the most to me. Um, it was 
the like the first video game that I really deeply connected with, I think, was Zelda. Um, it was maybe I'm trying to remember in what order I got games back when I was in like third grade. Because I in third grade, you know, like I like had saved up the twenty dollars to buy a Game Boy off my like you know cousin or whatever, um, and like had Tetris and like some very miscellaneous games that I don't even know where they came from, um, but like the f- and I, and I had Pokemon Crystal and loved that, um, but I think I connected much more to Oracle of Seasons, which was the first Zelda game I got, um, because it is so. I mean, they're both very exploratory games, like the Pokemon series, especially. Uh, I mean. Honestly, I haven't played any since Ruby and Sapphire, but they are very focused on exploration too, in a, in a very in a very different way than Zelda, in, in sort of a different world with different mechanics and stuff. But um, just like Zelda is so hyper focused on exploration, and that just is to me such a fun thing to be doing, whether it's in a game or whether I'm going on a hike or whether I'm exploring new music genres or production techniques when I'm making music or whatever. Like just that means a lot to me. And so that's got a deep place in my heart. Um, I think Breath of the Wild was amazing and maybe my favorite game. But on the other hand, like I'm playing Hitman and it is so good. Um, and I love Hollow Knight. So, I mean, I, I'm not I don't know if I want to say Zelda games are my absolute favorite game, but I think they definitely might mean the most to me. Mm hmm. And yeah, like, oh, you know, definitely. Um. I myself am a fan of Zelda, given especially given my name. But yeah, like, <laughs> I can definitely understand what you're what you're saying there, because I think a lot of people have um, that connection to Zelda for a lot of the same reasons. Not to try and you know play down mm. the importance of how that makes you feel when you play it, because you know that's one hundred percent entirely yours. But it's it's always nice to hear that you know consistently Zelda is able to inspire such feelings in in such a broad audience. You know. Yeah. And I mean, that's I definitely part of how it's persisted so long. I mean, the thirty fifth anniversary was last month. It's about thirty. You know that the series is older than me and has the staying power. I and I think because it does exploration so well. Yeah, exactly, and I, I agree completely. Like you know, there's there's obviously something about Zelda, um, whether or not they are, uh, you know, kind of rolling it back to be a little closer to the originals or you know with uh for um with the remake that they just did for uh, link's awakening um or i cannot remember the the painting swivel one where it was basically a link to the past again oh or you uh, know a link between worlds a link between worlds thank you that's it. yeah a link between worlds um or they're taking you know big steps and strides with breath of the wild like obviously mm. it's a game that the core functionality of its exploration is able to lend itself to, you know, wherever they go and, you know, has the staying power to consistently hit the notes that people are going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned, you know, that and, and Pokemon. So I'm going to, you know, is it fair to say that maybe those were your, your favorite games as, as a child? Um, are there games that you played as a child that today you feel they might not hold up as well? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I mean, I mean, there's definitely games that I played as a child that were uh, not good. I remember we had a, uh, uh, me and my siblings had a Tom and Jerry side-scrolling platformer. <laughs> um, 
which I don't remember a ton of, but it def- but it definitely like holds a place in my memory for some reason. Uh, I think you just played Jerry the mouse, and I guess we're sort of you had to like get across the house. Um, it, it I think it was definitely one of those like quick license tie-in games that I cannot imagine still holds up. But um, I mean, when you're a kid, you know, it's like what you got is what you got, and you're gonna you're gonna you can you find enjoyment in that. Yeah, exactly. And like I, I'm gonna go with was it for the Super Nintendo? Uh, no. So uh, oh, okay. That w- this was a Game Boy Color game. Oh, um, okay, okay. I did Game Boy, Game Boy, like Game Boy and Game Boy Advance were my, like I feel like the systems I had as a kid. Um, by the time I got an N64, um, so I, I like growing up, I, I wasn't really like on top of new games, um. By the time I like got an N64 secondhand for, I think I was in middle school. Like I was going, you know, maybe not quite a teenager, but getting there. Um, I did play a Super Nintendo, but it was like my my uncle had one when he was younger and like left it at my grandma's house. So like we went down there once a year for Christmas and played Earthbound, you know, for like a few days every year. And after like four years, made it to Foreside. <laughs> But um, and yeah, mainly Game Boy. Reason, okay, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, we're, I mean, but, um, yeah, it's... no. The only reason I was sorry about that again. <laughs> it's hard to talk with, you know. It's you know remote recording. Um, but yeah, no. The only reason I was asking that one is because you know when I was younger, I played a Tom and Jerry game for the Super Nintendo, and I was thinking <laughs> back to to that one when you mentioned it, and um. For me, it was, you know, I don't think the game would hold up today. And it 100% was just probably the bright colors that made it, you know, <laughs> made it something that would come and go kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Wait, what? I wonder if this was because you remember how, um, do you remember how back in, the, I feel like back in the day, games would come out and they would be on wildly different systems. Like, I don't know if I'm remembering this right, but I feel like a game would come out for both PlayStation 2 and Game Boy Advance. And there is no possible way that's the same game. <laughs> like, it's like a fully 3D game on PlayStation 2, and also there's a Game Boy Advance port, and, like, those couldn't be, the, those can't be the same kind of game. I wonder if a similar thing happened with the Super Nintendo, that, like, for, there was this Tom and Jerry game, and they put it out for both. Do you remember, did it have, like, passwords you had to input to get to new levels, and there was, like, you had to put, like, Tom, Jerry, dog, other cat, and like remember a sequence of their faces in order to get to the later levels rather than having a built-in save system. I honestly don't remember. You know um, what? That's fair. Part of me wants. <laughs> to, part of me wants to think it was probably a weird, you know, uh, movie tie-in because it came out around the time I think as like the Tom and Jerry, the first Tom and Jerry movie. Um, well, wait, hold up. So, the first Tom and Jerry. There have been multiple Tom and Jerry movies. Yes, there was actually a Tom and Jerry oh, movie uh, cartoon um, uh, 20, 30, uh, 25 years ago now. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how to, to properly describe it. Um, it's Memory is saying that it was one of those kind of movies that if you watch it as an adult, you are definitely going to have a very different experience with it. Because it's one of those things that where so many different flags would be flying off and you'd be sitting there going, well, none of this makes sense. Clearly, 
you know, this is a situation that should not exist because it's, it, it almost stretches the, um, it almost, it, I, I want to say it was like a WB type movie. So it, like, it definitely stretched the line of what was, um, even plausible in Hollywood logic, you know, it was like one of those kids cartoon movies. So, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't go looking for it unless you have a very good reason to look for it. <laughs> the short and long of that, I would say. Don't worry, I do not. The secret that there were two Tom and Jerry movies is safe with me. You know, speaking of um, Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance, did were there were there any other games on that era that you know you that stood out for you, or was it kind of you know just? Uh, you know, The Legend of Zelda or Pokemon and, you know, everything else was just sort of there, if that makes any sense. No, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I remember um, so there's a couple of things that really stuck with me. Um, for one thing, I ended up with somehow a copy of Wario Land 4 for Game Boy Advance. I don't know if you've seen this game recently, but the pixel art in Wario Land 4 is phenomenal. I looked at a screenshot. I mean, I don't have my cartridge anymore because who knows? You know, I just, who knows where that is? It fell through a, probably fell on a vent somewhere. But like that, I saw a screenshot, and that pixel art is so good. I feel like the Game Boy Advance, in a lot of ways, was like peak for pixel art. It was so colorful and so crisp and so detailed. Um, and I all I'm like kind of bummed that like pixel art in like major AAA studios is as soon as 3D became viable, they just sort of jumped on that train. But um, yeah, Warrior Land Four uh, was, is an amazing, weird, weird game um, that I absolutely love. Uh, I guess Wario is like a, 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 a Indiana Jones kind of treasure hunter, except without being nice. And he's just like rob it. He's like he's in a pyramid that has portals to go to random, weird, like cartoony, kind of grotesque areas. And all the monsters are like it's like got that a. Uh, sort of like a uh, 90s Nickelodeon kind of gross cartoon energy. Um, definitely, but definitely. Beautifully. Um, and I love that game. Um, and then uh, <laughs> another game that really stuck with me, I don't remember if this was Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance, but there was like a, a Bionicle, Lego Bionicle tie-in video game where you're like, it was very janky and like looking back on it probably this is this is actually one that i loved that didn't hold up um looking back because looking back on it I'm like it, this was a clunky game but you got to explore I, I don't know if you were um in like 2001 lego bionicle was a series that was uh pretty big and made a big impact on me and you're just exploring the island setting that that was on um and going around and then it sort of led it sort of acted as a prequel to the like uh, flash based point and click game that they had on the Lego website. <laughs> but I love that one. Wild really? for so many different reasons that a game on a Game Boy Advance had a was a prequel to a series that was a flash based point and click. I just want to put that out there right now that that is <laughs> that is absolutely wild to me that someone you know made that pitch to the board of directors or whatever mm-hmm. and someone went yeah that makes sense let's do it let's let's go that route 
Yeah, I don't, um, I don't know. If, I, I don't know. I don't know if you had to be a very specific age, but Bionicles were so cool. They were like, oh, so cool Legos. Um, but uh, looking back on it, they were a extraordinarily multimedia franchise. Like the main story was told partially through comic books until eventually they got the budget for like movies and they put out like three or four like CGI movies that also told parts of the story. But then other parts of the story were like, you know, point and click flash games or Game Boy Advance games or um, they had like novels. It was all over the map. You're just making it sound even more wild. I'm sorry. That's that's yeah, that's um, that's that's something else. Um, you know, I would... as for me, I, I, I think I missed Bionicles by a few years. Um, okay. cause by the time Bionicles would have been coming out, I was 2001. starting high school, give or okay. take. So for me, the Bionicle train was, you know, I was just a little too old for it, but yeah, you know, just lo- hearing about this, that's, that's absolutely wild that it was across so many different mediums to mm-hmm. how it tried to present itself. Uh, whether that is good marketing or not, I don't, I don't know, but that's still, that's still wild to me. Yeah. I would love to, if there were like a docu-series or a podcast that just like interviewed people and like archeologically like discover, uncovered the history of how this Bionicle, you know, the story of Bionicle came to be. If I'm remembering correctly, like the there was like a single dude who sort of acted as like the creative god behind it, who was on the like internet forums that I was on when I was you know ten, and you could just like ask him questions, and he would like be like, "Oh yeah, this is how it works." Well, that's that's always good to have that kind of fan like interaction. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially with, especially when it's you know involving. Uh, I'm assuming a bunch of passionate children who are really into it, right? You know, there's gotta have, especially with something like Lego, Mm -hmm. um, especially something like Lego where it's going to foster creativity, right? Yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Lego's mission, like Legos are so cool because they do have that dedication to like, to fostering that creativity and that's that spirit of like, you should just build other stuff with these rather than, cause like it is there, there aren't a ton of like, toys or you know games or properties that are so about not following the rules like on the back of lego boxes they always had those like all right here's this here's the set you know here's the temple in the rainforest that you can build and we got instructions for that but here's just a bunch of pictures of i don't know stuff you could build with these pieces go wild kid and like that was on the back of every lego box is like here's some other here's some other random stuff you could build with this and just like that dedication to breaking the rules and not doing what you're told is very admirable. Yeah, and exactly. You know, in, in my mind, I always thought of it kind of like as the B side of the the of the kit, so to say, um, or the set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a way. So, you know, we discussed, you know, your, your games from your childhood and, and such, and we kind of touched on it currently, but... What are your current favorite games looking like? Um, so I, my go-to what I what my uh like game diet is at the moment is um I what I what I like to do is like I'll get usually like a more linear story game um 
every several months. I don't play a ton of games because they're expensive and um, I'm pretty busy with like work and other things that I do making games. Um, but like every couple months, I'll get like a bigger story game. Like I play Jedi Fallen Order or um, God of War. Those are the most recent two that I played. Um, and what I'll do is I'll just like get up early on a Saturday morning and make myself some cinnamon rolls and play video games for a few hours because <laughs> that's just a fun like uh, chill throwback thing. Um, and then in between, like, I usually reserve those for Saturday mornings. Cause that's just a fun little ritual of like, it's Saturday mm. morning. I don't have to go to work. I can make cinnamon rolls and drink coffee and play video games. Um, and then like during the week when there's like, if I don't have plans in the evening, um, and I'm all caught up on like doing chores and, uh, work things and whatever. Um, I'll usually just go to Hitman because I am so, so much enjoying the Hitman series. And yeah, that's that's an I'm trying to think of the right word. That's an interesting ritual to have on for a you know for a Saturday morning because you know, mm-hmm. um, as you said, it's kind of like a throwback. So I'm you know to have that kind of like comfort experience. You know the, that maybe it's not yeah. so much a specific game, but like the feeling of the game. You know the that yeah kind of like you know how a lot of people you know soup is you know their comfort food or what have you kind of the the it's more about the the process to getting to be the comfort game and it's not the game but the the you know the whole ritual so to say yeah exactly like that and then, uh, you know you got that, that morning sunlight coming through at the angle and the you know cinnamon my, my mom always used to make cinnamon rolls for like special occasions like christmas or whatever so it's like you know cinnamon rolls in the morning is like special occasion food and it just you know saturday special it, it's very like i'm free of responsibilities and that takes me back to feeling like a kid it's you know very relaxing yeah definitely and you know like i i think everyone um if they don't have that in their life definitely should do their best to maybe find it just because <laughs> being able to tap back into that it kind of just makes everything you know like even if when everything's real stressful having a moment where you can create for yourself where you do get to be carefree for once or you know, mm-hmm. not, I don't want to say for once, but, you know, in the in the, the hectic, yeah. you know, day to day of everything, um, that's that's always a fantastic thing to be able to, to do, you know? Yeah, I'm very I, I feel very privileged with that. The, I mean, the ability to have. Um, so, like, I work as a software developer now, and this is my f- this is one of my first like grown up jobs <laughs> where it's like, you know, I work Monday to Friday. I have a reliable schedule. <laughs> I will be off on Saturdays. Like just that to me is still a luxury because I've only been doing this for going on a couple of years. You know, before that it was like construction work and restaurant work or um, random research projects in college or whatever. Um, but like to, to, I definitely am privileged to be able to ha- be able to take a few hours where I don't have to do chores or take care of kids because um, I don't have kids or, um, uh, focus on uh, like a side hustle to make more money or whatever. Um, so I'm very thankful that I'm, uh, you know, lucky enough to be able to have these few hours. Mm-hmm, definitely, definitely. So following that, you know, uh, kind of talked about the, the ritual about what makes like a, you know, the comfort food of, you know, for gaming for you, I guess. But what is it mm-hmm. about gaming uh, specifically if, if it does exist, that makes it enjoyable to you? Hmm. That's a good, that's a great question. Um, 
So, I mean, there are a few things that games do that really draw me in that I love. Um, like my so like my ideal Saturday morning game is one with a story or like a, a progression. Um, so like uh, Jedi, I played Jedi Fallen Order a few months ago and that, you know, it has a set story and you're like always making progress along that. And that feeling of, um, you know, as you play, you get through the story, you get more abilities. The there's there is just like a dopamine satisfaction of growing and you know moving forward. Um, that video games have a cool way of doing that, like a movie doesn't necessarily, because like because you have to push it forward, it gives you a sense of accomplishment, even though like you know like uh you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock rolls around and it's time to get to work. It's like, I, I haven't accomplished anything. I've just been playing a video game this morning. But I feel that accomplishment because I've driven something forward through my actions. And I mean, it's, it's me, it's in a way, it's, you know, it's meaningless and it's just an escape thing. And although it's fun, but it, there's that, that uh, sort of dopamine hit of making progress in something. And I enjoy that. Other things that draw me to games are, I've touched on this before, but like, uh, exploration is one of the biggest things that I love in games because I love it in real life and just being able to explore around and like find something and that uh, just like itching that curiosity scratch, I think is so much fun. So uh, like one thing in breath of the wild that I loved is um, I think it's, there's an area called like, I want to say it's called Koholan Bay, but um, just sort of south of Akala, there's like a little bay and an inlet that goes in and it's just like a rocky where the cliffs come down to the beach. And it really reminds me of um, the American West Coast where like the mountains come right up to the coast and like there's a lot of like rocky areas and you got to kind of scramble around and the waves are crashing there. Um, and like in reality, you can just go there and, you know, climb around on rocks and see what there is to see and find a cool starfish and maybe see a little cave. And that's so much fun there you know they're at the end of the day sort of you know you've just seen cool things there's not really been like anything you've accomplished necessarily um but exploration games you know that can tap into that same feeling i really enjoy that um and that that area in breath of the wild is a very similar place where you can i remember like for an for you know like an hour or two i just sort of climbed around on the rocks in this bay in breath of the wild and it wasn't productive in the game. I didn't like get much, you know, I picked up some fish that I could cook later, but the game's not that hard. You know, once you're leveled up, it's not that hard. So I didn't really need the fish, but it's just poking around and seeing what there is. And I love that. Hmm. And definitely. Cause like, you know, what you're saying to me, it just, uh, it's, it's, it's taking the focus uh, and, you know, in life as well, it seems like, you know, for, for exploration and such, but it's, it's taking the focus and, finding what's going to be satisfactory for you or as you know provide satisfaction and like yeah at, at some point you just have to kind of say like who who cares if it's productive in the game world because you know that that's what side quests are for that's what exploration is for right it's it's doesn't always have to be about doing productive things mm -hmm. it's more about you know being able to enjoy yourself sometimes with just what's given to you and if all that's given to you in that moment is a bunch of rocks to climb or you know to jump around on or what have you then you know that's that's always perfectly fine um because again it's about you finding something that you're going to enjoy 
for, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, because, you know, it can always have, like you said, that that deeper connection to things you enjoy in real life, or it can have that, you know, connection to just doing something that's going to give you that dopamine hit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if, if the if the action in and of itself is satisfying, then that makes a very satisfying experience. Like people, uh, like a lot of people point out, like just jumping in Mario um, is satisfying, and I like the, they're right. It's fun. Like in I, I love playing Odyssey because just like bouncing around is fun. Yeah, and like you, you mentioned that, and immediately I'm thinking of um, how most of my traveling in Mario is either doing quick successive bunny hops or doing mm-hmm. the full on triple jump because, as you said, it it's fun. And, you know, I, you don't, you, sometimes you might not realize that you're doing it until someone makes a comment and then you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's the only way I move around really in in these games. Mm -hmm. So speaking of games that, you know, that you enjoy and what makes gaming enjoyable for you, um, do you, do you feel that you've, you know, there's a game that you really enjoy that just for whatever reason doesn't get enough credit. And I know you did touch on, on Wario and, the Wario games are somewhat of cult classics um, for, for various reasons, because, you know, they are very wild in how they're presented and what your purpose is. Because um, even in the first um, uh, Super Mario Land 3, Wario is what ha- whatever it was. I don't remember the name. Um, the whole mm. purpose of that one as well was you collecting treasures. And that seems to be a consistent thing in Wario games. Um so, like, are there other games that, you know, you've you've enjoyed and that you just don't feel enough people know about them or, you know, just don't enjoy as much as you for whatever reason? Yeah. Um, I feel like for the most part, most of the games that I play, especially especially now where I, my time my time's more limited, um, I usually play like a claim, you know, more acclaimed games like. Um, I don't, th- I don't think it'd be news to anyone that I'm like, yo, have you played Celeste? It's really good. <laughs> or, um, or be like, oh, the story in Firewatch is amazing. Cause like those were, you know, like really notable games because they were amazing. Um, I think one game that I played back in the day, um, that I haven't really heard mentioned in forever, um, is Star Wars Bounty Hunter, which was, you play as Django Fett, Boba Fett's dad. So he's like, he's the dude in the prequels that like Obi-Wan Kenobi tracks down to figure out where all those clones came from. Um, and so it, you you play this uh, this bounty hunter who, uh, do the, the movies are like, trust me, this is a cool dude. But you don't really ever see him do anything. So the game is like you seeing him do cool stuff and you're just, you know, planet hopping uh, and tracking down some like elusive bounty. And uh, it's really cool. Uh, I thought it was a what I remember of it was being uh, like because you had a you had a jetpack and blasters and you got cool guns and it was it did a very good job playing into what is cool about Django Fett and Boba Fett like you're in like the underworld of course Corsican like um you're in like the you know talking to huts and on Tatooine like you're doing you're going to like drug planets. Sorry, I just I just said the phrase drug planets and I'm like, what the <laughs> Star Wars is so weird. Um, but like it, it just does such a good job of like sort of like how the Mandalorian is tapped into like that fantasy that we all had in our heads of what Boba Fett must be besides a dude who got knocked over into a sandpit. Mm-hmm. And, and it just it, it I think it delivered really well on that. And you had a 
jetpack. Yeah, yeah, like you know, being able to fly around and all. Like I, I personally didn't didn't play that game, but you know, I can definitely, from what you're saying, understand the the appeal to it, um, especially at that time where Star Wars kind of had a bit of a a rough time with games because I know at the time there were a few um, tie-in games that didn't really do it justice so having a game that you know might have actually did it some justice is always a fantastic thing right yeah i I think part of that was it it focused on a character that like you could do pretty well in games like i think a lot of times like being a jedi is kind of a because that's like you know the the star wars is about the jedi all the movies are and like doing that it can be harder because they're more about um like in the story they're supposed to be like peaceful and like you know like a lot of the conflict in star wars is about these people who are trying to do good but being reluctantly forced into uh having to do dope space combat um and then but then in a game like the point is to do the dope space combat so i think focusing on actually you know what but then then, now there have been really great star wars games where you're just doing dope space combat as a jedi so i take that back i don't know what (laughs) what games did you think were rough like star wars pod racer because no because that one was dope um so the one the few that i played they were there were a few that were tied into uh the first movie um one of them being on the the playstation i forget the the name of it but all of the controls were were tank controls. I believe there was a Game Boy Advance version of it as well, where again oh, really? it was also kind of tank controls. Mm. So it was, it was real, real rough. Um, if you go back to the Nintendo sixty four, uh, Shadows of the Empire. Um, oh yeah, it was, it was. You know, in when you look at it through like the eyes as a child, uh, it was probably more enjoyable. But personally, now going back to it or just looking at how it controls it was very it it came out in a time where um everyone was still trying to really figure out what 3d was so it kind of had the tank controls to it as well which is Mm -hmm. real rough for a game where you're expected to you know um it kind of be like jetpacking around or jumping around on like tight corners or running around and all that kind of stuff um I've, so like that, I kind they of kind of were, one, yeah. and they were kind of like products of the time. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, looking at it through those kind of lenses, that you know they're going to be just not aged that well and going to be kind of rough. That's interesting because I remember what I remember of Shadows of the Empire is it having like it having very hardcore Goldeneye energy. Of like I don't maybe it's maybe I just played them during the same period of time so this is maybe like middle school for me but um I remember it feeling a lot like you know like a third person version of Goldeneye and the fact that like yeah they were both really rough <laughs> like Goldeneye did a great job with its multiplayer from what I remember um but like actually going around and moving was in a lot of ways kind of pretty esoteric and just like how am I supposed to move in this 3D world which you're right that was totally like the era when 3d was really being nailed down i think with the um with the uh like switch port of super mario 64 that's become even more clear to me 
because we ended up getting that because of the whole like forced like it's you won't be able to buy it and i was like well my n64 only boots up half the time um and i like i remember super mario 64 being really good so we got the switch port and i went back to play it and just got so like physically ill from the camera just the way it moves around like i could play it for like 20 minutes and then i would just have a terrible headache for the rest of the day just because like the 3d motion and the way they were figuring it out out at that point was very rough Mm -hmm. and i will note for mario 64 that that was considered good camera control at the time that was the way they did that um the way they did you know movement and all that that was that was like the gold standard and Mm -hmm. what you said about like the camera control now that i've seen i've heard and seen other people saying that as well and it's it it just kind of is interesting to look at it from today's standpoint where you have an idea of what tolerable and good camera controls are and then you look at a game from 15 years ago now maybe you know 20 15 to 20 years ago now and like the gold standard of that then is wild for now (laughs) yeah like the best we had back then will make you sick now (laughs) i legitimately am like how did i play this i guess i was just a bulletproof kid (laughs) so speaking of you know um maybe camera controls and you know how that trend has gotten better over years (laughs) is there a trend for over the last few years that you've noticed in video games that you really have enjoyed and you know want more of hmm Hmm, good question um yeah what's been happening the last few years i i mean one thing that is definitely enjoyable is the narrative in games i feel like is continually getting better and better um you know people are really putting budget into writing in games um like if you think about games like uncharted or god of war or the last of us or um like a lot there's these big budget games that are so much just about telling an interesting story um and rather where whereas like you go back into like the 2000s and stuff like the stories are often there and sometimes they're cool but they aren't so uh focused on like nuanced writing and fleshed out characters and i think that i mean that's just i think the art form developing in a logical way which is really cool sort of just becoming more mature in the way that like storytelling has always been a part of making uh you know linear narrative games but it's sort of just been focused on more and um given the budget that it that it deserves in a lot in a lot more bigger budget games recently and i think that's pretty cool and yeah definitely because you know i hadn't i hadn't really thought of that but it's it's almost like the more people tried to rail on games for being, you know, not an art form, it's kind of, I think, around the time when you started seeing uh, studios go, well, if that's what you feel, let us, you know, let us make you eat those words and started throwing out, you know, just very more, more, more commonly, they were throwing out more story rich games. Because, you know, if you looked at early Bioware games, um, or um, the Obsidian, 
um, like those companies, they were throwing out very story heavy games, but they were, you know, kind of small audience and like the bigger games didn't really do that. But then, you know, people start, critics started saying, you know, these aren't art. And then, you know, you got studios like Sony, um, funding Naughty Dog where Naughty Dog went, oh, well, if that's how you feel, here's, you know, <laughs> here's the last of us. Here's, you know, here's us doing, uh, on the Uncharted series where, each one was an incremental step in them showing what they're capable of doing. And mm -hmm. you had like Santa Monica, you know, taking God of War, where even that um, went from being a very, um, you know, traditional, um, you know, hack and slash game where that also grew in what the story was presenting, you know, how Kratos' whole background of why he's, uh, why he's Ash White and, you know, all of that up to the newest God of War. So it's like, yeah, it's it's the story is definitely not something I thought of, but you know, you you the way you said that made me realize that it, that's they've come a long way and have been mm -hmm. coming a long way. <laughs> What's so funny is so I I played the new like the God of the 2018 God of War, that one I had never played any of the other God of War games uh, or really knew what they were about. I'm like, it's, it's an angry, very white dude. <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know he smashes he smashes stuff up i guess greece um and i was like i thought i thought they were totally rebooting the series i didn't realize it was like an actual sequel sequel so my mm -hmm. wife like knew the plot of the original ones and was like watching me play and like things would happen in the game like um you know kratos was all in this game he's always talking about like oh i don't like the gods you can't trust gods and i'm like oh i wonder why i bet they'll reveal why he doesn't like you know trust gods later and my wife was like max the obvious like you got f***ed over by the gods in literally every other game did you not read the wikis and i was like it's a sequel ah so i kind of yeah the, like I, I yes you know with, with the god of war series it is a soft reboot um, which is like, you know, I, I think I, I think soft reboot, I'm putting that in air quotes, is like a mm -hmm. nice way for um, uh, for studios to just sort of say, yeah, everything that happened before, you don't really have to know, mm -hmm. but you might want to because it's like their way of being like, we're not touching any of that, you know? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and it's cool because it still gives it still gives the uh, people who did play them like it, they're still it's still valid. Like the people who yeah, did like exactly. them, because I've heard the earlier games were good. Uh, I just haven't played any of them. They are very different games, you know. Um, <laughs> the the earlier ones, as I said, they're 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 more or less hack and slash games. Um, the first one kind of came out around the time that uh, Devil May Cry would have been you know, been popular, you know, where mm -hmm, uh, you're mm -hmm. comboing and you're building all of that up. Where you know the new God of War is nothing like that. It's you know you're 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 playing it slow and methodically because if you do get, um, if you do get greedy in what you're doing, you're gonna, you know, take a shield to the side of the head, and the next thing you know, it's game over, right? Yeah, Valkyries. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's very much. It's it, yeah, the new one is more like Dark Souls meets Naughty Dog. Exactly with like the 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 approach to to storytelling and and all of that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah the soft reboot thing is interesting because like hitman hitman also did this also very successfully i think because that was another um i think sort of 
more niche game. I hadn't I had like heard of it. They had two movies, but <laughs> I I wasn't like aware of it being like ever in the zeitgeist. Whereas these reboots have are are maybe not the most popular games, but I feel like are definitely talked about and are like in the you know the canon of games that you reference and criticize and are aware of Mm -hmm. and yeah i think you're right on that one i think the 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 newer hitman games i think they're kind of a soft reboot as well um because you know you kind of get to a point i think a lot of games kind of get to this point if where if they're trying to tell a continuous narrative um they're they're going to effectively paint themselves into a corner with what they can and cannot do and that's just you know a byproduct of having a series that has been tangently sequelized over the last you know, like 15 or so years, you know, you yeah. eventually you just, you get to that point where you're like, what do I do? Um, yeah. So it's like, like not to discredit, problem. you know, soft reboots. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, it's just that one again, another infinite crisis kind of thing is popping off and how do you resolve it? <laughs> well, you destroy everything and start from scratch. Right. Yep. So I do have a, another question for you and this one's, not so much focused on video games uh per se but um you know with with social media now being a big part of of marketing and you know with discord servers for for video games and subreddits and you know i know this existed previously as well but typically was like the website and the forum and that was that right but now you know social media instagram all of that fun stuff um did you as a developer you know try and um connect with your fans um via any of the social medias like twitter or what have you so uh the whole the 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 half of game development that is so i know how to i I figured out how to make a game the other half of that is like making people aware of it and selling it and that part i don't know how to do and it just stresses me out you know, there's like only so many things I can focus on. Like I can do art and music and programming and writing and stuff. And that's that's all fun for me. But when it comes to like figuring out how to promote and and, you know, like pimp my game, like I, I'm not very as much into that. I don't really enjoy that this in the same way. I enjoy the creative experience of like building a world and figuring out how to, you know, reward exploration or balancing enemies or whatever. So um, I do have a, I do have a Twitter um and that's pretty much the extent of um what i do for putting for social media or or trying to interact with people um although of course i am like super happy if anybody's playing my games to talk to them and i've since the games come out i've been trying to stay on top of all the steam comments and answering people and everything um but as far as social media goes uh I think it's, you know, largely a blight on society, um, but, but I guess I have, it, but I guess I enjoy Twitter a little bit. I mostly just follow artists though. So it's mostly just pretty pictures. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so this question, you know, the, the, the second part of this question might, might be a little different than for you, but you know, especially because you said it was, you know, social media being a blight on on everything, which well, <laughs> not my point, not my place to argue, um, <laughs> regardless of how much I may or may not agree with it. Um, <laughs> but like, how do you, you know, how do you feel about you know the the current the current landscape for for game fandom and such when it's so easy for you, the developer, um, to interact with fans and fans to interact with you because you know, like you said, you 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 try and keep on top of it. 
through um through Steam and you know the reviews and all of that. So like, how do you feel about just the the landscape for interacting with with everyone as a developer? Well, I think one thing that it's important to keep like it's important to make a conscious decision of like, okay, to what level do I want to be active in this, and like, I do to what amount do I want some separation? Um, I have kind of made that, you know, I try to be like, okay, cool. I will have fun and joke around. I'll always answer people's questions, but I think it's also valid to, um, be like, okay, I want to be sort of aloof. Like I will, you know, check in on social media and what people are saying maybe once every month or two. Um, or maybe I've got a, a publisher that manages that because I, because there's definitely whenever you're creating something, there's, when you have this environment where you get so much feedback and there's so much potential to hear what everybody thinks about that. I, I think everybody who creates something is feels compelled to read everything that's said about them, like to read every review or like to keep up with whatever is being said about them on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And that's not always, you know, that's obviously not always a good thing. Like if you're, if you take that to, if you, you know, sort of depend on that for finding your identity or you are, are, you know, if one of your, you know, just who you are, you have trouble distancing yourself from other people's opinions of you, then that can be very harmful. Like if I, if I were the kind of person that read all the negative reviews and was like, oh no, this means I'm not, you know, this means I made bad decisions. This means people don't like me. And like, God took took that in. Uh, then I would, it would be very bad if I were involved. So uh, being able to know yourself and know your limits with engaging in that as a, as a creator of anything is perilously important to, to, to like draw your lines there. Cause, because it's so easy to get into a negative spiral of reading bad feedback um, or get to get into a negative spiral of reading good feedback and, you know, letting it go to your head. Um so I, I think it's really important to have a grounded idea of like, okay, I view myself through this lens. Like, oh, this is who I am based on the things I think are important. Like, I have my friends. I am. I have my church. Like, I take. I am. I work hard, and I know the important things to me are not going to be affected by reading some person who just who left a negative review because they didn't like zelda likes and you know that's that's definitely um a a kind of i want to say it's kind of like a common theme or at least something that i've i've um heard alluded to that you know being able to set those boundaries and as you kind of said you know the good and the bad um you know so it doesn't go to your head like that that seems <laughs> yeah. like it's it's consistent that that everyone agrees that that is important because you know yeah exactly you don't want to get stuck in a negative feedback loop regardless of it being positive or not like either way if it if it creates a negative reaction from you um cuz you know going to either side of the extremes is never good right mhm yeah but with that said though like the the fact that if um like, I don't think Ocean's Heart has that I've found, like, you know, a big community of people speed running or trying to dig apart the lore that, you know, bigger games do. But if there were that, on the other hand, like, that would be dope to, like, be able to engage with. 
Um, like a, a couple of things I've had a lot of fun with are when people are streaming every once in a while, I'll like drop in on a stream and occasionally leave a couple messages in chats and just like <laughs> a couple of times I've just been like, Ooh, I think the developers must've forgotten that you could shoot arrows over those kinds of blocks. That must be a mistake. And they're like, Oh, I bet they did forget that. And then, you know, I like, I log off the end of the stream and every, a couple of times people have been like, wait a second, that was the developer. And I think like that kind of stuff, uh, just being able to like the, the direct communication in that sort of sense can be a lot, mm. a lot of fun. Um, as long as it's, you know, just as long as it is, is that, that it's just for fun. Like I, if, if people are getting something out of this game, that's fantastic. And I enjoy that. And I want to, you know, uh, if, if that experience can be enhanced by making jokes with me, then hell yeah. Um, but if it's I, but I definitely I definitely don't want to get involved in something if there's any sort of potential for uh, animosity or even if someone's if someone has like uh, like really good critiques, like valid critiques of my game, if they don't like it for things that are that like uh, there was one review of Ocean's Heart that was like, I mean, it does a good Zelda like thing, but it doesn't really push the boundaries of the genre. Like it's not really doing anything new here. And I was like. I mean, yeah, you got me. I mean, the, the, I didn't set out to do anything new. This is my first game. I'm fine with that. But you're not wrong. It doesn't It doesn't really bring many new ideas to the table. I like to think it does the ideas that it does do well. I, I like to think there's a good sense of, like, exploring a new world. And it's one you haven't been in before. You know, you're not exploring Hyrule again. But, yeah, there's nothing. There's no, like, big new mechanics or uh, crazy twists. So that's a valid critique. And then, I, you know, the obstacle there is like, well, will this person feel awkward interacting with me and like try to dial back their good analysis? You know, like if I if I if there's potential because if you're on the Internet and there's potential for the person who created the thing you're criticizing to be involved there, you may very well feel bad about that, even though your criticism is valid and is useful and is a good analysis. Which I think so. Mm-hmm. I think like, that's an interesting problem. Yeah, and like one hundred percent, because um, you know, there comes a point where if if someone's giving an analysis of it, uh, you know, the there's there's that there's that line between, um, you know, regardless of how good their intentions are or how um, honest they are, there is always going to be that fine line between you know them knowing you as a person or a potential bias being created, right? So like I I definitely get what you're saying there and that's you know always that would be a a hard thing um as a developer to you know to kind of to to skirt around because you know you don't want people to 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 pull punches when mm-hmm. the punches are perfectly valid and warranted, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the uh the internet is the <laughs> the internet is a good place to criticize things. It's it's also a bad, you know, there's also a lot of very bad criticism, but um, like I love watching YouTube videos, like analyzing movies and, uh, you know, cr- you know, making good criticisms like film criticism is a longstanding art form and like or literary criticism is is a degree you can get right. Like that is a very valid thing and a very interesting thing. And the Internet has the internet can very easily dissolve that barrier that's always been between the creator and the critic. And that 
has a lot of potential to get very dicey going one way or another. <laughs> so it's it's an yeah, interesting definitely. situation like, to navigate. Definitely, definitely. I mean, like, you know, like I said, you don't you always don't want to kind of get yourself into a position where then, you know, things are said or misinterpreted and then, you know, then you have a whole other problem on your hands, you know? Yeah. All right, Max. So I don't want to keep you for for too long, um, or for too much longer, because you know, everyone has a uh, you know have things to do and and all of that. Was there anything else you wanted to make people aware of or or put uh put out there before before I let you go and get a uh, get to your your evening? Yeah. So well, obviously I have Ocean's Heart is is the game that I put out uh, a little bit more than a month ago. It's on Steam and GOG at the moment. Um. It's a Zelda-like game where you have a great big world to explore because, as we've discussed, I love exploration. Um, and I've also got a couple other smaller games. Um, Yarn Town is a top-down tribute to Bloodborne. It sort of recreates the first area and a couple bosses. And then Hollow's Eve is a Halloween-themed game where you play as a uh, pumpkin man who comes from the Halloween world into the 90s to rent Jurassic Park. And both of those two games are available on itch at maxatrillionator.itch.io. Um, and then you can, uh, if you want to keep up with what I'm up to, uh, I just have a Twitter, which is at Mraz11. Wait, no, no, it's awesome, at awesome. 11 Mraz. Wait. Yeah, at 11 Mraz. Wait, I think. I would just, just look up both of those. There's got to be one of them. <laughs> well, make it easier for everyone for you. I'll be sure to put um links to the things you had said to your two games um <laughs> as well as your your twitter handle i'll put them in the description so anyone that is looking they can be sure to go to the right one so that way they're not trying to interact with the wrong max <laughs> i better figure out who my doppelganger is my new nemesis well before they take that uh before they take that power and do something bad with it right <laughs> yeah i guess it could be we could be allies we could be stronger together we could rule the galaxy together <laughs> but anyway max i will uh, i'll let you get a get on with your evening um thank you so much for joining me well thank you um, so much for having me. and you know yeah no definitely and again it, you know it was it was awesome to to speak with you and uh it was you know it was a good conversation so thanks again and uh, thanks again for joining me on the red tunic podcast and special thanks to max Moraz for making some time to have this conversation with me, as well as special thanks to Raul Jenkins for the use of music from the title track from Road Steep. And if you like this podcast and want to support it in the future, please just share it. Let people know about it. That'd be awesome. Thanks.